0: Heavenly Father thank you for your words. Bless us and please speak to us now as we open our hearts we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well we've begun this new series going through the prophecy of Amos and uh, it's been uh, we just had one so far an introduction and today we're getting into the the text a bit further and we're looking at the first couple of chapter and a half chapter and a bit um, so that's what we're aiming to do today as you can see from the screen Amos is the shepherd prophet now one of the things that comes from this passage is that justice will be done justice will be done and we had that song read just about God's justice that God is a just God and justice is going to be done to Judah's enemies Israel's enemies uh, to Judah and we're going to find out to Israel as well There's a warning of justice that is going to be exercised. Justice is good, but another thing that comes out from this passage is that being smug is not good. And as we hear of others getting into trouble, maybe for their own sins, then we do not gloat. We should not be smug. Now, a bit of a review uh, uh, where we left off last time. We see it's around about 750 years before Christ. And at this point in the history of Israel, north and south as you can see at this point they were split into two things are quite comfortable and prosperous there's not many battles going on generally at peace with the enemies around them no major wars and the tourist routes around Jerusalem and Bethel in the north are quite pleasant be nice to go there for your holidays but that's a veneer that is covering up things that God is about to expose that's probably true of many countries in the world isn't it even in our own country, there's nice tourist routes, but go behind the scenes and see things that are are not so comfortable. Now, Amos was a shepherd from the town of Tekoa, which was about 10 miles from Jerusalem. Uh, So he's a southerner. And as I said, there was a split in the the nation as a whole. So 200 years ago, there was was a civil war and Israel as a whole got divided into the northern tribes that were called Israel and the southern tribes that were called Judah. You can see that. On the map there so Amos was from the south he was from Judah and he was sent by God to go north so Amos goes north to Israel to preach to the people there and it must have taken a lot of courage for him to do that especially as the message that he was to share was a warning that a tipping point had been reached in the nation both nations in fact And God is going to be bringing judgment on on that nation. So it wasn't an easy message to to bring to those people of the north. But one thing that comes from this is that there's still a chance to repent. As we go through Amos, and we'll see this as we study into it further, that even though a tipping point has been reached, there is still a chance for people to repent. God will still help and rescue people who will listen to him and respond to him. There is still hope for any individual who turns back. To God. Now we see the word uh, fire come in this uh, passage quite a number of times. Thank you Sandra for reading it to us. I will send fire, the Lord says, I will send fire. Now in chapter 1 verse 2, as we looked at it last time, we see that, that God is the lion who roars. God is pictured as the lion who roars, a picture of power and authority. And it was a reminder there that we must take God seriously. God speaks as a king, the kingly creature of the lion. God speaks, and we need to take him seriously. Now, in our passage for today, seven times, the Lord says that he will send fire. I will send fire. Now, fire in the Bible is a picture of judgment in action, judgment in action. It's the consequence of sin and God acting as a just and a holy God in the light of that sin. God, a just God, does something in the light of that. God is acting as the righteous judge. Now, as we've said before, if God, one way or another, at one time or or another, does not exercise judgment, does not exercise his justice, and intervene against sinful behavior, then he cannot be a moral God, can he? He cannot be a moral God. And uh, an unmoral God or amoral God is a fearful monster. And that's not the God of the Bible. God is just. The God of the Bible is a moral God, he is a being who is all powerful and also good he's not comfortable he's not uh, someone that we can have under our control he is uh, like a lion wild but in this case he is good he is good he's just now in a world full of injustice and i'm sure we can point to many things in our world where the police don't catch every criminal and where the law courts don't always give a verdict that seems to be right what's our hope in a world full of injustice We have a built-in sense of right and wrong don't we and that justice uh, that justice is right and from childhood that's not fair we we have a sense of what's not right if we don't get the same amount of sweets as as the other children in the family and things like that we have a sense of fairness and justice that seems to be inbuilt in us our anchor in an unjust world in an unjust world using the words of Abraham from Genesis will not the judge of all the earth do right It was a question that Abraham was asking in the light of circumstances that uh, were confusing to him. He was wrestling with issues, but it's also an affirmation. It's also that the anchor that Abraham had back there, will not the judge of of all the earth do right? And that was what he came down to. Now, the question then is, why does God seem to wait so long to act in many cases? surely if you and i were god what a uh, fighting thought if we had that power and that that uh, responsibility but if we, you and i were god then we would surely send some kind of judgment right now we think of the dictators the slave traders for a starter and uh, and so on in the world well we'll come back to that question a bit later but we have this image of fire now fire is a powerful and a dramatic image isn't it and in, in one sense it's a metaphor here God didn't literally send fire. And in all the cases where God uh, promised that there would be judgment, but it's a picture of seriousness and the seriousness of how God will deal with sin is not a metaphor because God is seriously just. In chapter 1 verse 4 here of our passage, I will send fire on the house of Hazael and and chapter 1 verse 7 says I will send fire on the walls of Gaza. Chapter 2 verse 5 says I will send fire on Judah God is to be taken seriously, his justice, is serious justice. Now, we also see this phrase coming again and again, three or even four, three or even four. For three sins, even for four. Now, eight times Amos uses this phrase, for three sins of or which, whichever country, nation it was, even of four. I will not relent. What does that mean? Well, it's a Jewish idiom or, or a saying that point that points out that a tipping point has been reached or a point of no return has, has been arrived at. The fire will come. The judgment will come because that tipping point has been reached. I will not relent. It has come. That's, so it's a Jewish idiom. Now, God has not brought judgment straight away in any of these cases that we have in our reading of these different nations around Israel and Judah. In fact, God had been warning them, uh, particularly Israel and Judah themselves, for decades, even hundreds of years. They knew the score. They knew what would happen. But God has been patient, warning them. Things have happened. Interventions have taken place. But God has been warning them and being very patient with them, sending different prophets. Now, this question of why, Lord, how long, when will you act in justice? When will this world be sorted? When will justice finally come? When will justice finally happen for me and my family because of the tragedy or the difficulty that you are going through or have been through? Well, the Bible's God's book, remember, and the Psalms ask that very same question. So we have permission to say to the Lord, why, Lord, how long, Lord, to express our hearts, our cries for, for justice? how long, oh Lord, the Bible itself actually has songs, psalms that say that. These are prayers which appeal to God to act quickly to save or, in, or intervene in judgment and wrestling with the issue of injustice in the world that doesn't seem to come quickly often. Now Christians, as well as everybody else, see and experience suffering in the world and we know that there are many Christians around the world who are suffering not only the difficult situations in their nations because of poverty or corruption or warfare but because of persecution as well so Christians around the world know what it's like to suffer and we in our relatively limited suffering we can't always understand why things are going on around us or to us but we do have some clear markers that we can hold on to in faith as we go forward and the first thing is this that that God has told us to love Okay now the reason the main reason the root of suffering in this world is because humanity doesn't do love very well. Okay so why is there so much suffering in the world? Well we can point to the fact that we are not doing what God has told us to do. Human beings don't do love very well. God has told us our consciences tell us that we need to love our neighbor. The Bible tells us that plainly but as a whole humanity has ignored God. We've, we've been so self-centered history has been marked by war and greed and selfishness and oppression sin against God's way of love has brought much sadness to our world so when we ask the question why Lord we need to look within we need to look at what we as human beings have done in the in the face of what God has told us to do the second thing is this God has intervened in history. We must not forget that God has intervened in history and does intervene in individual circumstances. The Bible records some key events. The Exodus, for one, that happened to the nation of Israel who were enslaved in Egypt and were rescued. And when we think about our own lives, and we don't have time to go into great detail, but think about the many near misses that we've had. Think about the times when our conscience has warned us and we've avoided, escaped, some difficult situation or some entanglement that we could have got into that could have spelt a great disaster for us. think about the ways that that doors have closed in our face. you know we, we've applied for something we've uh, tried to achieve something but the, the door is closed in our face and, and later on we found it was fortunate. God was in control of that. We can easily forget these little interventions and rescues that make a huge difference to our lives even though often we do ignore God and press on despite what our consciences tell us and and as well as the stories of hardship and suffering there are many instances where miracles happen where people are moved to show love and care and even the fact that many many charities and hospitals and hospices were started and originally run by Christians is very significant and there are many stories I've been reading a book recently about uh, how God helped uh, rescue Christians in difficult situations facing persecution around the world but we still know there's a whole lot of suffering we still know there's a whole lot of unanswered questions why lord how long lord and so we ask what about a full and file intervention lord what about an end to all sin what about an end to all suffering once and for all please well another marker that we have is that the bible talks about patience but it talks about god being patient with us as well And God is patient with us for a reason. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, people saying, well, the end doesn't come yet. God hasn't intervened. Uh, Is God going to do anything? The question. And the Lord is slow to keep his promise. People might complain. Well, 2 Peter 3 verse 9 uh, deals with that head on. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, it says, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. But everyone to come to repentance, but the day of the Lord will come. Because it is sinful attitudes and behavior that is the root of suffering in this world, then to eradicate suffering, that the sin of people needs to be judged. Because if we're going to eradicate suffering as a whole, in every if that's going to be eradicated totally, then our sin, my sin that has contributed. To that, in some way or another, needs to be judged as well. We're all people who have sinned one way or another, and, and therefore we all come under God's assessment and judgment, as the Bible says, for all of sin that comes short of the glory of God, and we're accountable to Him. But in a world that's, that's going to, to, to hell in a handcart, as some people might say, even though we see the direction of this world that doesn't doesn't where there doesn't seem much hope god says something to you god says said that to people in the time of amos and he says it to you now turn to me repent of what you know is wrong in your heart and life believe in me and into your life with its unanswered questions of pain and suffering and difficulties god speaks to you and he says to you 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 see how true love is good You can see how sin brings sadness and pain. The things that have happened to you. It's all because people have ignored me and gone against my laws of love. And God says to you, there is forgiveness for you. And there is eternal life for you. And there is a new world coming. There's hope now to have peace with me and a relationship with me that will bring you joy in the journey. And trust me for this, there is an eternity free of pain. Free of suffering free of sin ahead the wages of sin is death destruction hell but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord the gift of god that is offered to you and i is eternal life another marker that we can look to is that god suffered to save us we ask the why the suffering why am i suffering why is he or she suffering And we don't know all the answers yet, and we don't know how long. But we do know this, that God suffered to save us, a God who entered into our world to experience suffering, although he knew what it was like perfectly, but he came and suffered to save us. When we think about the warnings in the Bible, when we think about what is is here in Amos, when we think about judgment, when we think about fire, the image of fire, when we add up the serious descriptions and the consequences of sin, we need to consider that in order to save us, God took all that on board. And on the cross, he suffered it all, and much, much more that we cannot grasp or understand. You see, Jesus took the ultimate punishment in the place of millions upon millions of people. Now, sometimes people go through a hard experience. It might be through a war situation. It might be through a, a health issue. It might be through pain. It might be through hospital experience or just other things. And people say, it was like hell. It was like hell. It was a hell of an experience. Or it was a taste of hell or things like that. When they emerge from a ter- terrible experience, they say, it was like hell. Well, Jesus endured the final, full, complete hell on earth on the cross for us. As he suffered there, he experienced not just those hours, those six or so hours he was there suffering on the cross and the the pain he experienced before as he was beaten and tortured and mocked before he was actually nailed to that cross. But in those hours he was hanging there on that cross, Jesus suffered an eternity For my hell and for the hell of millions upon millions of people. He suffered for a whole world of people. And he suffered in two ways. God suffered in two ways. He suffered as a son who sacrificed himself. The son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And God also suffered as a father looking on at the horror of giving over his son to save us. To save you and I. God suffered to save us now there are still mysteries to suffering aren't there it is hard to understand why God seems to wait to intervene in in many circumstances and and doesn't appear to intervene as much as we would like but we do have a chance to repent in the midst of all this we we don't and we also know that God will finally intervene we have that promise that assurance that the judge of all the earth will do right And, and we do know that there's a promise of forgiveness now And there's a promise of a pain-free world to come. So these are things that give us hope in the midst of the questions that we we have and the issues of injustice which are in our world. And we know that we can be there with Jesus in this new world to come, this pain-free world to come, because he died and rose to save us. He rose again to prove that there is life after death and that we can trust in him and be with him in that sin-free, pain-free environment. So there is an answer in the midst of our confusion, our own pain, our own suffering, our own questions. There is an answer, a good answer and a hope. But, you know, people don't always take notice of the answer. People don't always take notice of what God says. And that's why Amos had to shout fire. Amos had to shout fire. That gets people's attention, doesn't it? Now, the way Amos is led to start his message to Israel is quite curious. You look on the map there and the nations around Israel and and Judah, of course, in the south. And the Israelites who are in the north, as I said earlier, they are hearing Amos speak about these different nations around and about their enemies who are going to get it in the neck. So as each warning and each pronouncement of judgment goes out, the callous people amongst the Israelites in the north will be going, Yes, God is going to sort out our enemies. And then in chapter 2, verse 4, Judah in the south, those southerners, they're going to get it too. And the people of the north will be thinking, Well, this is good, but our enemies are going to be sorted. God is going to bring judgment on our enemies. Now, Judah and Israel, after the split, the civil war, were not best friends. Now remember this was a message to Israel in the north mainly it's a message to the northerners and as Amos unfolds his message the Israelites are going to be able to go through a mental map of the nations around them. Now you might have a mental map of the the sea around the British Isles and when you listen to the, the weather forecast <laughs> if you do uh, you listen to the weather forecast and you, you hear about the different um, uh, places or uh, seas and so on around to, I can't remember the name. It's gone out of my head. The different ones around the the, the nation, and you, you a mental map of going around around the country as the the, the weather forecast is is given, or it might be that um, you live in a country where you can uh, surrounded by other nations, and say you might be in, um, uh, in in Romania or somewhere like that, and you think of the different nations around you, uh, and as a, a, in a mental mental kind of map. If you live in a landlocked area, well, the Israelites are have got a mental map. And each of the nations around them, as the prophecy unfolds, they have committed multiple atrocities, atrocities against Israel itself and Judah, by the way. And the, there are six nations and they're paired up the way that Amos goes around. And obviously the Holy Spirit is leading Amos to, to speak this way. Now, there's the uh, Syrians and the Philistines that are linked together. And, and they, they went beyond just defeating Uh, The israelites in battle they they slaughtered and they enslaved israelites syria it says they threshed gilead they went beyond winning they scoured the land they slaughtered people after they'd won the philistines philistia took captive whole communities and sold them to edom so there's they weren't content in winning but they sold losers into slavery and it's interesting because the Bible does have more to say about slavery than we often think. Um, sometimes people criticised, uh, for example, the New Testament are not condemning the, the Roman slavery. Well, if you actually, for, for example, read 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1 verse 10, it actually condemns slave traders there. And if you put into practice even the Old Testament and the New Testament teaching, then servants and slaves get treated well and it ends up people who are slaves becoming brothers and sisters in Christ and to treat them with love and equality. So if you follow the Bible, you actually end up with slavery being dissolved anyway, if you follow the principle of loving your neighbor as yourself. If you obey that, if you obey the Bible, then slavery dissolves. So the Syrians and the Philistines, and then there's the the Tyrians and the Edomites, and they broke treaties with Israel. They broke promises, Tyre took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom, Edom attacked and pursued his brother nation, killing the women too. So there was treachery, promises broken. And then we have the the, the Ammonites and the Moabites, they crossed a, a terrible line in, in the, the rule of, of, of battle. Ammon uh, was, uh, used extreme violence and, uh, and then we see Moab utter, with utter disrespect even burning the bones of a dead king and so on but then judah gets a message in the south and then the people there in judah should have known far better because they had the law of god and they had the history of his rescues they had had the bible the old testament and yet we see that they had turned to, to idol worship and sins associated with that this is what the lord says for three sins of judah even for four i will not relent because they have restricted the law of the lord and have not kept his decrees, because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods of their ancestors, their ancestors followed. I will send fire on Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. Now, Judah has rejected the law of the Lord. Judah has opened up itself to be led astray by false gods. Now, James Boyce wrote this, that if you reject the Bible, you will reject the Bible's God. If you reject the Bible's God, other idols Will come in to take God's true place. Now, imagine that you're an Israelite in the north. You've heard this man from Judah, from the south, and he he's expressed God's intention to judge all these nations around you. And you, your enemies, they're going to get it in the neck. You see that your enemies are going to get it in the neck, and a certain smugness starts to come over you. But then as you start to get proud as this smugness starts to unfold you then the finger of judgment turns around and points back at you and that's where we come to chapter 2 verse 6 this is what the lord says for three sins of israel for you even for four i will not relent then their sins get exposed they sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals Now, we need to remember this, that God doesn't judge the nations around Israel for not obeying the Old Testament law because they didn't have it. They hadn't signed up for that. The nations had sinned against conscience and against common humanity, common humanity. But but people in Judah and Israel, they'd sinned further. They'd sinned against the Lord who had loved them, who'd helped them and who'd given them his law. And they'd signed up to that law. They'd all agreed that we will keep the law. We will obey. And so they had a greater responsibility. They'd been shown God's rescue, God's help. They'd experienced more of God's help and his love. And yet they turned away from him. So those are the the, the issues of of what's going on. This is why God is bringing justice, uh, not because just literally two or three things done wrong but but many things and we have this Jewish idiom saying even for three sins of whoever even for four I will not relent it means that multiple atrocities have been committed but now a tipping point has been reached and judgment is going to come on the nations around but also there's going to come judgment on Judah and Israel and we'll look more about what God says about Israel in the coming weeks but how do we respond I'd like us to spend More time now on thinking how this applies to you and to me how do we respond how do we respond to God's amazing grace now amazing grace means that every Christian has the promise it's in Romans 8 verse 1 as one instance therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus we will not be judged for our sins there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus there may be consequences to our sins in this lifetime consequences uh, because of what we've done and said and the way we've behaved we still have consequences to our sins but we will not be condemned there is no condemnation there's no hell god will not treat us uh, in with under judgment and punishment because of us because jesus took our sins for us on the cross no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus we are loved so much aren't we and we we know far better we've experienced god's grace and his love like judah and israel we have a high standard to live up to because we have this great privilege and we have a great responsibility and we need to take this responsibility serious how do we respond in the light of god's amazing grace how do we respond when god speaks quietly to us do we listen to god speaking to us quietly or do we wait till he has to shout fire do we take note of what god says to us gently and quietly when god speaks to our consciences when we look at things and there's common sense god-given common sense do we listen to wise advice do we seek advice do we read the bible with that desire to put it into practice do we read it with that honesty before god Do we listen to lessons from history? God speaks to us gently in so many different ways. And we can always ask if we're not sure, can't we? So do we listen when God speaks quietly? Or are we stubborn and unresponsive to his voice? Does God sometimes have to shout fire to get us to listen? Pray not. How do we respond when God speaks through uncomfortable messengers? we may find certain preachers teachers easier to listen to than others we may find it uncomfortable to hear a rebuke from someone who maybe we don't always get on with uh, we find someone who's a little bit our uh, personalities clash maybe are we willing to listen to someone from the south who comes up north <laughs> or vice versa are we willing to listen to people outside a cultural comfort zone well don't shoot the messenger but deal honestly with the message? How do we respond when there's uncomfortable messages bringing us an uncomfortable message? How do you respond when your enemies are getting into trouble? How do you respond when people who have done you wrong get their comeuppance? Now, a writer many years ago, John Donne, who lived in the 1500s, to the early 1600s, he wrote this, perchance he for whom this bell tolls may be so ill as that he knows not it tolls for him. And perchance I may think myself so much better than I am as they who are about me and see my state may have caused it to toll for me. And I know not that. Any man's death diminishes me because I'm involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls it tolls for thee so never gloat basically over the sufferings of others or think it's a message only for the people over there but consider yourself another way of putting it in the bible in ezekiel 33 and this points out the fact that justice is good but even the god of justice does not enjoy judgment god does not enjoy judging people Ezekiel 33 verse 11 says say to them as surely as I live declares the sovereign Lord I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that they turn from their ways and live And then God pleads turn turn from your evil ways why will you die people of Israel how do we respond when we see our enemies getting into trouble getting their comeuppance God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather praise urges them to turn and to find life. Justice is good, but being smug is not good. And we always need to be aware of our own weaknesses and our failures, and that if it wasn't for the grace of God, there we might be. Remember, as you hear the finger pointing others, if we're smug, it may come round and point to you, to me how do you respond to the lord's jurisdiction how do you respond to the lord's jurisdiction now the lord is the one true god with jurisdiction over all the earth but that therefore includes me and you how do you respond that the people of the day thought that there were many local gods that the nations around israel and judah would have thought well there's a god for here a god for there a god for that part of nature uh, a god for the thunder and the rain and a god for this zone and that but the God of the Bible is the God of all the earth. Uh, the, the, the gods of the nations around were, were limited in their power and their scope, their jurisdiction. But the God of the Bible is the God of all the earth and over every person. How do you respond to that? Do you respond with, OK, your Lord, you're in charge. Help me to take you seriously and to follow you. The way that Amos is structured here is in the beginning of this, it starts with this affirmation that God is king over all the nations. He, he's not just the local God. He's not just one of many. He's the king of kings, the king of the world. The lion roars and the message comes to the nations around. The Lord is the king. The Lord is the king of the nations around as well as Israel and Judah. So he's the king of the world and he is good. And it is the rejection of his kingship over me. It is the rejection of his kingship over his laws of love that is the cause of all the badness in this world. So the question is, will we acknowledge that, acknowledge our part and accept God as our king, king of all the areas of our lives, of every aspect of our lives? How do you respond to the Lord's jurisdiction? And then how do you respond to the mercy in the message? How do you respond to the mercy? Now, Amos is giving a, a hard-hitting message to deliver. It was, it was hard for Sandra to read that passage. It's hard for us to, to look at it and see the questions and issues of, of judgment. It's not easy, is it, as we, look at, as we look at this? But through this, there's mercy in the judgment. Right in the, the center of uh, the book of Amos, there's this kind of wake-up call. That the warnings have been given. The warnings have been hammered home. Fire has alerted people's attention. But God says in Amos 5 verse 4, seek me and live. There's hope, there's mercy in the message. and Despite the nations reaching a tipping point, despite Israel and Judah reaching this tipping point, there's still a chance for people to repent. God will help people who listen and respond. There's still hope for any individual who turns back to God. And this applies to our world today, doesn't it? We can see our our world reaching a tipping point in, in many ways and We don't know when Jesus will return, but one day enough is going to be enough. But for you, for me, there is this message from God. Seek me and live. There is eternal life through faith in Christ Jesus. And this is the gospel. And how do you respond to the gospel? This is the good news about about Jesus because of Jesus. For you, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How do you respond to the gospel? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see your intervention in the past in these nations around Israel and Judah. And Lord, these things came true in history. And Lord God, we know that you are a God who takes judgment seriously. But Father, we also thank you for your mercy and your grace, and that individuals could be saved. people could turn to you, people could escape, people could be rescued. And we thank you, Lord, that you did do that. There were rescues, and many people did escape. But Lord today in our situation, in our world, helps us to take your voice seriously, help us to recognize that you are the God who shouts fire because that is serious. But Lord, we pray that in our daily lives we would not be a stubborn that you would not have to shout fire to us, that we would be listening out for your whispers, listening out for your gentle voice, listening out for your fatherly warnings, listening out for your tender direction and guidance. Lord, that we would not be hard-hearted or stubborn. And Father, we also come to you confessing our sins, the times when we have have been stubborn, Lord, confessing our sins to you, that we have contributed to the mess of this world. We have not loved our neighbour as we should. We have not loved you as we should and we thank you Lord Jesus that you died on that cross so that we can be forgiven so that we can know you have a new start escape your judgment and have a sure home in heaven one day Lord hear us as we bring our hearts before you now you know our needs where we're at what we're thinking what we're believing Lord we bring our hearts to you now and ask for your help and blessing in Jesus name Amen